Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for episode 22.1. This is part two of our interview with Jeff Gersh. In the previous episode, we focused on finance, and here we focus on Jeff's music. A special thank you to my Patreon patrons who get the episodes early, and, of course, thank you to everyone who is listening. I'm thrilled you're here. I do have a teeny tiny minuscule little favor to ask. If you haven't done so already, please find the show on YouTube and become a subscriber, and or find us on your podcast app and subscribe there. Each subscriber bumps up our numbers and helps us find new listeners. Today's guest is musician and composer Jeff Gersh. In case you missed part one of our interview, I'll give you a quick introduction. He is an electric guitar player who pre-COVID performed live music to silent films at the Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. He has been playing electric zither for the Blue Man Group since 1998 and subbed on Broadway's Rock of Ages from 2012 through 2015. He creates music through his moniker, Ambient Fields, and while New York City was under quarantine, he visited every single neighborhood in New York City, over 375 locations, and he made a field recording to document the quieter city. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. So you played guitar, electric guitar for... Actually, mainly electric zither. That instrument is primarily what I play in the show, but I do play guitar for one, one piece... And that, that's more of a, well, I'm saying recent. I think we started doing that eight or nine years ago. Okay, I didn't realize it changed. I mean, I sort of knew it was different every night, but I didn't realize it changed majorly like that. I mean, the, uh, the show opened in New York City in 19, what was it, 91, I think. Yeah, 91. Unlike a lot of like Broadway shows where, you know, it's written for, you know, it's a very specific thing and the show is put up and nothing changes. It's very rare that anything changes, nothing major. But Blue Man has always been a a, a living, breathing entity. Like the guys who created the show were basically commenting on pop culture back in like the mid-late 80s, kind of holding up a mirror to, 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 to what, you know, culture at the time. And sometimes mocking it, sometimes, you know, building upon it to make new art. But, you know, the things that were relevant in the late 80s are completely mostly irrelevant right now especially to younger kids so it's the kind of show that has you know it's it's kind of just a given that you have to update it every so often i've never been to see it but i know the space is pretty small where it is how many people are in the band yeah so the new york city theater is the smallest show out of the whole company our our theater holds around 300 people uh, it's you know very very small very intimate. There are three people in the band. About eight or ten feet above the stage, there's the band loft. Um, so the the band were visible. We wear we wear like paint on our face. It's like day glow paint, and uh, we have these like shirts on that also have this day glow fabric on it. So our lighting is black light. So once that light goes on, all you see is like the outline of all this paint. Our direction is to look kind of tribal you know humanoid so yeah it's it's kind of you know it's kind of funky wait sorry so the band is separate from the blue men though right or you are one of the blue men no the blue men and the band as far as characters go completely separate the blue guys you know they put all that 
blue stuff on their face and because i've like i've only seen on commercials or like clips and i always thought they played all the music but clearly not no 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 uh they play all of the percussion instruments which are sometimes traditional drums a lot of times are homemade instruments a lot they use pvc piping a lot for instruments the core group of the band is a drum set player and then two string players, which, like I said, I play the zither, and then there's a Chapman stick player. So it's, it's pretty unique. It's unique instrumentation. It's a unique... The style of music is very tribal rock kind of vibe. Okay, all right. Well, we can move on from that, except for one more question. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cirque du Soleil, a couple years ago, I thought, bought Blue Man Group. Yep. And Cirque du Soleil is now going bankrupt. Yep, that is correct. So do you know, is Blue Man Group going to survive? Well, that's there's that's the big question mark. Uh, there's, there's not much that I can tell you. I mean, the, what I do know is that, yes, they, they're going through their bankruptcy. I don't know anything about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 um, <laughs> they, you know, they, they've, they've sent us things in the mail, and a lot of it is very lawyer-speak, lawyer-talk. Yeah, I see. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, very long memos basically just saying that, yes, we're, we're doing what has to be done to file for bankruptcy. But, you know... The, the company is huge and there's a lot of people that want to see it survive and need it to survive. And, and I think it, you know, it will survive. I, I, I feel pretty confident about that. And I think, you know, Blue Man will also survive that. But, the, you know, the big question mark is, okay, the company will survive, but then we need people to come see the show to then keep surviving. That's that's really what the big you know there's just so many unknowns right now you know we don't know you know there's there's a lot of people writing about how New York is dead and it's never going to come back I don't I don't buy that at all things are very rough right now but the city is still very much alive there there's a lot of art going on outdoors there's a lot of music going on outdoors I personally have already done a few gigs outdoors and people come people want that just yeah tourists people from out of the country especially you know i don't think they're going to want to come back here until it's pretty close to being i don't know if you could ever guarantee anything but you know that it's safe it's safe to go inside buildings and sit next to people and enjoy theater and enjoy live music um i have i have no doubt that people want to do that and will do that as soon as they can it's just the big the big when (laughs) well if blue man survives i promise i will go see a show well make sure you you get (laughs) tickets for that i'll pay i'll pay i'll pay (laughs) who who got you that job or who who told you about it when i was in college up at new paltz i met someone a guy who's now a very good friend and collaborator of mine Jason Finkelman. We started working together, collaborating together. He hosted a bunch of like workshops, inviting different musicians up to New Paltz to to give uh, concerts and workshops. And one of them was this guy Bradford Reed, uh, who at the time was the full time zither player in Blue Man Group. So this this is back like in ninety four. So by way of Jason, I met Bradford. We played music together. And so that's how I got to know Bradford. And I graduated in 95. Then in the summer of 1998, I went to go see Bradford perform. You know, afterwards we're talking and he's like, oh, you know, I, I think I might need a new sub at Blue Man. Would you be interested? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. While I was in high school and in college, I played in the pit for a few different musical theater productions and I always had in my mind that like that is a job like if if I was to have a steady gig something like that is something I would love to do playing for theater 
So, yeah, when Bradford told me that, I was like, yeah, you know, again, at the time, you know, I was doing various part-time jobs, a couple of them were like at record companies, and to be able to have like a gig like that was like, yes, I, I would love to do that. That was like in the summer, and I think by time, oh, I don't I don't think I auditioned until like October, late October, mid, mid-late October, short of my college guitar audition. I think that that, that was my first like real audition i remember walking to it like feeling really confident like yeah you know i'm, I'm i was excited and I, I wasn't nervous and i was surprised but then i get there and i sit down at this zither something i'd never seen before oh no no i'm sorry first i did see the show of about a week or two before i auditioned but i hadn't seen i didn't go up to the band loft i didn't see the zither but you know i, I saw the show and got a feel for what the music was like and i was like yeah yeah you know it seems like something i could do and definitely would want to do so then yes i show up to the audition and we go up to the band loft and i sit down at this instrument that i had never seen before or really heard of and i was like whoa it, that's when i started thinking too much and i, I got really nervous and my friends start showing me me like what I should do what I should play and you like you wear these like a thumb pick and a finger pick and I'm going to play the thing the zither and my picks are flying off and I'm like getting all frazzled and I was like oh my god oh my god just just focus focus and I didn't really think it was that great of an audition it was very short you know I played a couple of different things and yeah wait so wait when you were playing an instrument that you had never played before so the thing is the thing is with the zither if you're a guitar player there are things about the guitar that you could translate to the zither in in a sense you know you could look at it like it's a guitar on a table so it's a pretty it's a pretty, you'll see it's a pretty like intimidating instrument because it's got tons of strings on it and you know when you have no clue what's what it's like whoa you know it, it, it was pretty scary so yeah you know my my mind just got the best of me and you know i, I did what i thought was the best that i could given the uh, info that i had and yeah before i knew it the audition was over and my buddy's like okay yeah yeah i'll give you a call later and there was one other guy that was auditioning as well i left the theater and i was like i blew it i there's no way i'm getting that gig like i i completely messed up and i, w- I was i was i was mad i was sad i was like I, you know i blew my opportunity i even had a dream about it that night like it you know oh wow and then yeah. you know the thing is my friend said he would call me later and he never called oh no you know? so i was like i was like no you're like <laughs> agony you know it's like what are you doing to me so the next day it's like you know okay i have to call him because i need to know you know it's like you can't just leave me hanging so i call him up and he's like yeah yeah you know you sounded great everyone liked you you know everything went good but he's like it seems like the other guy is a little more available and i'm like whoa anytime you need me at that theater i will be there because again you know the jobs that i had at the time if i had to like quit that day i would quit that day you know i was i know it's not a cool thing a cool thing to do but this is like my, my life you know right yeah yeah so i told him I'm like no if you need me at the theater whatever you need me to do i will do it because i really want this job and then he's like all right all right well you know call up this other guy david and see if you could work out a training schedule and make sure to to cater to what his schedule is like to his availability you know so i call up this guy david we chat we talk about scheduling and what the training process is like we're about to hang up and i'm like well is this still part of the audition like uh, you know what's going on and he's like well i'm not training two people <laughs> this is this is back when blue man was still somewhat of a young company Company, and they didn't they didn't have the structure in place like the strict audition process and like HR was involved and it was all the band like the band took care of hiring new musicians and they told management 
this guy's in the band now. It's not like that anymore. You know, it's it's like a corporate structure now. HR and, you know, resumes and this and that, interviews. That was how I was told I was hired, was that I'm not training two people. A few days later, I showed up and started training. Yeah, it was late October of 1998, just, just before my 25th birthday. That's awesome. I love that, like, you got a gig, but it's like a permanent gig, or was, you know. Well, at the, you know, at the time, it was part-time, you know, because my friend Bradford, he was a full-time guy. And, you know, sometimes, again, like the whole right place, right time thing. Yeah, my, my friend, think, so, like, the structure changed a bit, and he kind of became more of a part-timer. And then someone else, the guy who trained me, that guy David, became the full-time Zither player. And then he got promoted to, like, be a music director. And then that's when I became the full-timer. I was the full-timer, and my buddy Bradford, who got me the gig, then was my sub. So things change. The roles change. But um, I... I just I want to mention we have a mutual friend Sandy Garrett who introduced us. She had introduced me to Ambient Fields, which is what what do we call Ambient Fields? Is that a a project you've done? Is that an album you've done, or is it a you? It is me. <laughs> um, that that actually started out. I started playing live solo guitar for yoga classes. A friend of mine, she opened up her own yoga studio, and that's how I started doing it. And I decided I'm going to create a specific project for that. And I came up with the name Ambient Fields. That sounds like a great yoga music name, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no one gets rich teaching yoga. Uh, so it, it, it was hard to find studios that could pay for me to play the classes. And so Ambient Fields kind of turned from this yoga-specific project into anything that I did that fell under that ambient music category. That is Ambient Fields. So Sandy introduced me to that like two years ago. And then she reintroduced me to during the time of Corona, when everything was locked down, you went out with a microphone all over New York City to all the five boroughs and you did this sort of soundscape project. Pretty early on, like within the first week that New York City was technically in quarantine. And I can't can't remember if it was something I read or a photo I saw, you know, there's all these photos popping up of like, you know, normally busy areas completely empty of people in the middle of the day it made me realize that new york city is going to be the quietest it's probably ever been in modern times right away like it, it, it kind of popped into my head to go to times square and record just you know put a microphone out and record for a little while and i, I went there it was a sunday evening i went there around <clears throat> around midnight in normal times times square would still be really busy cars cabs, all the the people dressed up in those animal or uh, superhero costumes, you know, tourists, you know, it's if there's one part of the city that comes close to never sleeping, it's it's Times Square. And it was like the most surreal thing I've ever seen. It was aside from law enforcement that was kind of stationed around and and you got to remember, this is way before, you know, these the Black Lives Matter stuff was happening protests. So, you know, but there was still law enforcement in the area kind of stationed every block or so. But aside from that, there was no one there. And I stood there recording for about an hour. I think I saw no more than 10 people walk through the area. I felt like I was watching a a weird, like a a performance art piece that was just for me. You know, I was like the sole audience member. Because cars, every now and then, ambulances would drive through or fire department vehicles would drive through very slowly. Sometimes things seem very choreographed, you know. So it was, it was just really, really strange and also a little dystopian because there were, you know, and all the big, you know, all the signs were still on. 
So, you know, it's all bright lights and, you know, there are signs reminding you, cover your mouth, wash your hands. So it had, it had this weird Blade Runner vibe to it, you know? Initially, my thought was to go to iconic parts of the city, you know, places tourists go, but even locals will go as well to record those areas, to, to make field recordings of those areas. Like this, this is a project about sound, like the visual aspect of it wasn't anything. I mean, I would take photos at the locations, but it was really all about sound, documenting the sonic landscape. Because even though in a lot of these photos you see of that were completely void of people and cars, these places were never silent. You know, that's what photos don't show. You know, it's like there's still a lot of sound happening and there's, there's a hum almost everywhere you go, probably even in the suburbs, you know, you hear, you hear electricity, you know, so it's never, ever silent, you know, it's, you know, that, that, that's like kind of an impossible thing to achieve is so total silence. Right now, this project lives on a website. You, you pretty much said I, I visited every single neighborhood in New York City at least 375 locations in all five boroughs. And in each of those locations, I made about a five minute recording. I would drive to the location, find where I wanted to go, put the microphones outside my window. Cause again, when this all started, we're like, you know, not supposed to be outside. And it just felt more, it felt right for me to just stay in my car and record that way. So yeah, I, you know, I have over, I don't know, close to 380 recordings, over 30 hours worth of sounds. And yes, I have made some collages with, with some of these sounds. I mean, it's... I was going to say, because I went to the website and I was listening through some of them. And to me, it sounded like they were mashups, but maybe they weren't. No, no, no. So that was just, that was all, you didn't orchestrate that no no not at all interesting that's that's i that, swore yeah. you did i was like no. wow he really layered different no, voices no, no. on top of each other nope nope you know this i i i wasn't going out of my way to uh, you know like for example some of the on some of the recordings you hear people talking or announcements that are very specific to this moment to, to covid and the virus i got lucky you know i i just went to a location press record and that's like the little Easter eggs, you know? The people you have in them. I think that's a testament to New York City because it's like, here we are in the moment in history where this place is as quiet as it will ever be. And in your recordings, you hear people walk by talking to like talking to each other and stuff. Yes, we're we're shut down and silent, but still life is going on. There's still exactly, exactly. And that's what I was saying about these photos, which are, you know, they're amazing to see and weird. You know, that's just one little glimpse. That's like a, a little microsecond of a, of a moment. I just wanted it to be very organic. Like as if you walked out of a building, got out of your car and just walked down the street or stood in a location. And that's what you hear at that time. And, you know, what you hear might be, you know, compared to like normal times, it might be a bit quieter, but there's still activity. You know, there's still people walking by. There's still, uh, you know, cars and buses and delivery trucks. Like life still had to go on here, you know. Um, what What is the website? You said there's the website for that. I can't think it off the top of my head. So the, the website for that specific project is nycsoundscovid19.com. I'll put links to all your stuff on the website page. <laughs> Well, I find I find it very interesting from like an NPR documenting history, to, you know, sort of standpoint. This COVID thing, you know, if it never happened, I 
probably never ever would have thought to visit every single neighborhood in New York City. And that alone was a very cool thing to do because there's so many parts of New York City I had never seen before and a handful that I had never heard, heard of before. There were moments about, you know, that, that were, um, it's like, wow, this is kind of sad that, you know, normally it would be, that would be an amazing thing to do and explore the neighborhood and explore the food and the culture. But that's not what this was about, you know. It's like, it wasn't about walking around and, and it was really about getting to a location, pressing record for five minutes and moving on. Anyway, I, I think it's a really cool project and I encourage everybody to go check it out. I was actually wondering how you made a living because I would, you know, researching you and being like, okay, I know ambient fields and I know that cityscape project. And then you have some other haunting meditational music type stuff that you've produced. And I was like, how does this guy make a living? <laughs> that's, that's the answer. It's, it's the, the Blue Man group is really that, you know, my bread and butter. And then, you know, I, I especially in more in like recent years, I've, I've been um, trying to uh, do like do music residencies travel somewhere and focus on my my work most of the ones that i've done so far i've had to pay to do but i'm, I'm really trying to find the ones that will actually pay me <laughs> you know or give give me give me a little bit of a stipend and yeah you know that's what i've actually been spending a lot of time doing now because who knows what's going to happen next year you know when theater will be able to come back i i'm i i mean i think already in the past two months i've applied to at least eight or ten music uh, residencies for next year because I figure if I'm going to have all this time still, you know, it'd be nice to go somewhere and focus on, on my work. Aside from that uh, New York City Sounds project that I did, I actually haven't, I haven't really been very um, active with creating music these past few months. I don't know. It's a weird time. And I have, you know, the, I don't know, the inspiration isn't there. I mean, I play guitar every day almost. I just noodle around and, but, but as far as like really doing what I do, like the music you hear, on that ambient field stuff, I, I ha yeah, I haven't really been creating that much, um, and I, I don't feel like I need to force myself to. Every, everyone reacts to things like this in different ways, and I know some people who have been crazy, crazy busy working on music and producing things, and and that's amazing. Um, that's I don't know, that's not where my head has been at, or you know, I'm I'm kind of creeping back into getting a little busier creating my own music, but but specifically for next year, if I, yeah, if I'm still going to be uh, unemployed. <laughs> uh, I, I figure I should try to make, and I will, you know, no matter where I am, even if I'm here at home, I, I will probably be more um, active in creating my music. This is just a random side note. Nicole and I, I feel like might be the only people in the world like this, but all the music we listen to in our life is through Pandora. And if we don't listen through Pandora, it's YouTube. Like we're looking it up on YouTube. So I, of course, am like, I'm going to talk to Jeff Gersh. I got to listen to some of his stuff. So I go to Pandora, but you're not on Pandora. I personally don't want to be a part of the streaming <laughs> culture. I'm not trying to kid anyone. I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm going to make much money from the streaming thing, regardless whether I'm on there or not. And I don't, I've never really promoted it. You know, I've never, I would much rather people go directly to my website. They could stream, stream the music there. And if they like it and want to purchase it, awesome. That's great. I would much rather them do that than to go through all these other avenues where someone else will also get a cut of that money, you know? And, and it's a weird thing, you know, like you, even some of these bigger, you know, huge artists, you know, I think they have a right to complain about the, the way that is structured, you know, because a lot of times people will see, oh, you know, Taylor Swift, why, I mean, I don't know, I'm just throwing a name out of the air. Why is she complaining? She has all this money, successful, but still that that's like her work. You know, it, it, it shouldn't be like devalued 
because you know it's on the streaming site and you know obviously she's going to get a bigger cut of the streaming revenue than someone like me but for so many artists you're told like oh you're not going to get paid for this gig but it's exposure you'll get exposure people will see you and that who knows and sure sometimes that could lead to some amazing work but does exposure pay the bills no (laughs) you know but yes i am purposely like not putting my music especially my newer music on any of these streaming sites you know, some pe- some people have told me, you know, that that might be a mistake because, you know, someone might be searching for a certain kind of music one day. They'll come across your music and be like, this is what I need for this film or this project. But it's like at this at this point in my life, I'm not really worried about uh, like potentially, I don't know, losing work because my, my work isn't out there. You know, people might be listening to this and laughing, but I would much rather send people directly to my store then to like these 20 other stores that will also take a cut you know it's like if i'm gonna make some money off of my music i want to make as much from it as possible if does that make sense Yep, it makes total sense one of the things that i thought of shortly after i graduated college was that they really should have a class about money and finances and specifically i the main thing that i thought about you know just speak for what i do myself like as a musician teaching us how to like apply for grants and you know things like that i'm not a i'm not a good writer i hate writing even after all these years of applying for grants and residencies i I hate it i hate writing about myself it's like if i want to write about myself i'd be a writer i I just want to play guitar you know but you know that's how that's part of the game you gotta be able to talk to people about what you do but I remember even telling one of my professors, a composition professor, I'm like, you know, it would be amazing if like you had a class where you talk to the, you know, because we don't know anything about this stuff. And, and yeah, and it was funny, like, and this is, you know, again, way back in like the mid 90s. And I, I remember I was shocked at his reply. He's like, well, you know, there's not really even that much money out there. So I don't really see the point in doing that. And I was like, what? Oh, man. I, I, I don't know. I really I, I really was like, maybe he does. He, he would see us as competition, you know, because like that's total crap. I would expect the answer to be the reverse of that, which is there's so many avenues in which to make money. We can't possibly cover them all. And they don't need to cover them all. But just the basics about grant writing and how to write a grant and some of the options you have, you know, I, I was like. And I don't know, maybe that is a thing now, and you know, maybe that's part of, of some programs. Well, I don't. I will say all the professors, well, most of them have mentioned like, oh, we have a business of finance class or something. My critique of those classes is often it's like how to make a resume is what it sort of turns into and how to do your portfolio. And I'm like, you know, mentioning a 401k like one time, like, yeah, it's good. It's usually not really about money. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, know knowing those things coming out of uh, school, could you know could could be very helpful for students when when there's like art students and they're teaching them i think the professors or people think okay they'll get out and the ones that want stability will get their full-time job with like the blue man group or something like that and then the others will be the artists who like find some random weird path that we could never ever imagine yeah no i guess, I guess you know it's like they're, they're like well my job is just to teach them about art <laughs> you know Exactly. It's like some will rise to the top and some will fall and such is life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, totally, totally. Yeah, but, you know, and, and um, I guess that's, that's part of the journey. It's just learning as you go along. Yeah, you know? yeah. Okay, wait, I want to explore this little, um, the streaming thing just a, a hair more. 
I was on Ambient Fields and Jeff Gersh and New York Sound COVID-19, NYC Sound COVID-19. So I was jumping around. Yeah, all of those websites are through a service called Bandcamp, um, which is a really, really amazing platform for musicians. And so, yeah, the, all the infrastructure, you know, is set up by them. Um, because I didn't know the Ambient Fields... You can get a discography for $26.40 if anybody wants to get all of your seven albums. Yep, all, all digital releases. And one of the release, that release, Olos Fjordor, that is also released as a limited edition CD with, uh, I, I, you know, going back to what you were saying way earlier about picturing the town I was in, the CD includes six prints of photos from around that town. At, the, at that residency, there was also a photographer, so he graciously generously donated some photos for me to use for my cd release so yeah that's, that's a physical product that can be purchased okay and also the nyc sound covid19.com easy website to remember <laughs> yeah yeah um you have the full discography there available for forty dollars just in case anybody yes wanted to go with if you're looking for city ambiences like over 30 hours worth then that's that's the place to go That was part two of our interview with Jeff Gersh. My takeaways were, if you want to have a residency as an artist, you have to know how to write an application. It's grueling, but you'll have to do it. Do the most talented artists get the most attention, or do the ones who can promote themselves? Regardless of the answer, you'll only be accepted to the residencies you apply for, so get used to filling out those applications. Bandcamp.com is a resource to know if you are a musician or if you want to support musicians directly. Just like we utilize Patreon.com for supporters of this podcast, Bandcamp.com is built specifically for musicians to distribute their music directly to fans. As always, a special thank you to my Patreon patrons. Check out the page at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And to everyone listening, wherever you are in the world, just know that you are valued, and you are not alone. And I want you to know that we're here for you and we love you. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steimel. Producing consultant Anne Nygren Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu.